Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off your Northcore surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to Northcore on the internet and use the code, capital letters, Grumpy Surfer 15 to get 15% off your purchase. On the podcast today, I have a surfer grew up surfing the small waves of East Devon in the United Kingdom, but now he's living the dream, surfing and charging the biggest waves in Hawaii. My guest has also got the cover shot for Europe's biggest surf mag, Carve Magazine, surfing the massive waves of Jaws on the island of Maui in Hawaii. Please enjoy my conversation with big wave charger, Adam Amin. Adam Abin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. A couple of questions to start with them. Where are you and have you surfed today? I am on Maui, Hawaii, on the North Shore, and I did not surf today. I went training today. I did a bunch of yoga and went to the gym and just a little bit of work just to, you know, catch up on things. Oh, nice. We've had a, a pretty decent run of swell over the last sort of like couple of months here. I mean, obviously, it's nothing compared to Hawaii and the warm climate and the warm water there, like. But it's been pretty decent. I think it's the best running swell I've been involved with for the past five years. Maybe it's been pretty cool, like you know. Wow! Yeah, I've seen been seeing pictures and videos. It looked wicked. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was actually talking to Glenn from Surfed Out, and I mentioned that I um. I'd be talking to you, and I had no idea that you'd worked at uh, surfed out with him. Yeah, yeah, I, I worked in the main shop and then the one in Saunton as well. It's a pretty cool shop, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's a pretty cool shop. He, he gets a load of bunch of good stuff in, and you know, I've known Glenn now probably. I was trying to work it out because he said he opened his shop up in 1996, and I started going down there about 97, maybe. What was it? When was I? 18. Oh. Yeah, round about, yeah, that would have been right. I'd have been about 16, 17. So, yeah, that's showing how old I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, I, when I was working there, I got really close with a guy named Anton. He was kind of like, uh, you know, I looked up to him a lot. Do, do you see him around all? Yeah, he's still working there. Um, I, oh, I, no I pop, way. I, yeah, I popped down there and uh, I know that chat with Glenn the other day. And yeah, Anton's still working there too. Wow, you gotta say hi to him for me. Such a legend. Like. They were spinning a few stories about you and oysters and stuff like that. And I thought, yeah. oh man, it's good to get a little bit of background off people sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that, that way was pretty mental. But yeah, that's, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun in North Devon, definitely like living around there. And I didn't have really a car, so I was cycling everywhere and some adventures were super fun and, and the people down there it's like wicked you know good vibes and everything can you just give a little bit of background on yourself just explain who you are and and how you how you kind of ended up in hawaii yeah guaranteed um so i was born in the south coast of england and uh oh actually no sorry i can't call it coast because i was born in exeter and then my family moved over to bali when i was about three uh, three or four spent about three years there we we had a school and a, and a furniture company and uh, we had a house everything like that and then my dad kind of took me away without kind of my mum knowing and cut a long story short took us took us to Saudi Arabia after everything and my mom did see us for three years and then she finally found us, uh, big court cases, everything like that. Ended up in England, another court case. Finally got custody of us. And I started surfing in a PGL camp. And at the time, my mom had a boyfriend called Guy. And he was surfing and he kind of took me under his wing. Was like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take you over and I'll, I'll take you surfing every day. And it was, it was, by that time, we moved to Sidmouth, a little fishing village on the south coast of England. And that's where I learned to surf properly. And we do trips off Cornwall or, and, and North Devon and stuff like that. But I was surfing or trying to dedicate myself at Sidmouth, even though it was, you know, it wasn't as good, but, um, you know, I was a local boy down there. <laughs> but so I'd, I'd be trying to surf every day, whether it was like minus a foot, 
to like, you know, whatever it'd be. And it would be super cold and windy and whatever. But yeah, I tried to dedicate myself down there and kind of taught me to stop being a pussy with the cold. And yeah, I just tried to keep surfing every day, moved to North Devon. And yeah, I got a job at Surfed Out, as you know, and had like two years there. And then I went traveling, tried to travel as many places as I could. And eventually I went to Mexico. Then I came to Hawaii for three months and I started surfing Jaws. So that was like the main reason why I came to Maui was to surf Jaws. And so I was just like, okay, I love this place. Um, I'm really going to try and move here. And so I moved here and it's been, you know, dealing with immigration, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I started learning trade, doing everything like that. And uh, now I'm here. Mate, it's, it's a pretty epic story, if I'm perfectly honest, if you want to dive in, delve into the weeds of it. I mean... Oh, thank you. When I when I heard about you, I think, where did I hear you about it from? It was from the guys who do the Mindful Surfer, so Will and Liam. And I was looked into it in a little bit. I went, no, wait, how does a guy from Sidmouth end up <laughs> surfing big waves in Hawaii? It's like... It's it's pretty it's pretty rad, mate. If I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. I'd like to focus on a little bit about the starting story of when you grew up and your mum and your dad, because I think it's quite a harrowing story, but it's obviously had a sort of a, a happy outcome from it. It's almost you could almost make a cliche film out of it. If I'm perfectly honest, <laughs> because like you say, your dad was Moroccan. Am I correct? He was half Moroccan, half Saudi. Um, and you've got four brothers as well, haven't you? You've got Moody, Issa, and Faisal? Yep. Oh, look at that. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that background? Because your mum actually wrote an autobiography, didn't she, about that whole incident and that experience? Yeah. So, yeah, the, the book is called Reunited in the Desert. And it kind of focuses on her point of view of what everything happened. And it's a pretty... Even when I when I read it myself, when I was like, I waited till I was like 18, 19 to really read it because I wanted like to really understand everything. And so when I read it, I even cried myself because I didn't even know really deep down what my mum was going through or had been through because I, I was just a young kid, you know. And, I, and being the youngest, I didn't even know what happened with my brothers and how what they were going through emotionally. My mum just went through hell and just, you know, to get her four, four kid, kids back. And I, yeah, my mom's an absolute hero to me. And, and, and every time I see her, I just want to like give her the biggest hug. And yeah, she's, she's definitely a superhero to me. And I, yeah, I love her. She's, she's wicked. Do you remember what those early days were like? So I know you were only quite young living in Bali. I know you said you started surfing when you moved to Sidmouth, but did you have any sort of correlation with the sea or anything when you're in Bali because obviously it's the epicenter of surfing isn't it yeah I absolutely hated the ocean when I was a kid like I was <laughs> I was like I was like oh it's it's sandy it's it's salty I don't know like I, I was really uncomfortable on the beach I felt like you know it wasn't when I was a kid I was like oh it's you know unknown territory blah blah blah, blah. and so I was like deterred from it and then somehow over the years that completely shifted to me falling in love with it and just where I am now you know I, I it's everything for me being in the ocean no matter what it's diving surfing everything like that but being on Bali I didn't really yeah I had no real correlation to the ocean surfing anything like that and yeah as you said it was just like when I went to England and, and started doing that I got introduced how did you find surfing in Sidmouth? I suppose you didn't really have any other comparisons, did you? Because, you know, if you're growing up in a small fishing village like that, and it's quite isolated, especially probably back 10, 20 years ago, because the the roads that go in, there's either one that goes over pretty much of a, it's a fucking mountain, if I'm perfectly honest, to get over <laughs> one side. And then you're going back through the deep, deepest, darkest little country roads to get back to a, a main A road, aren't you? So how did you kind of get into that? Who were your influences in Sidmouth? I actually had some guys like, so for example, my old boyfriend called Guy, he was kind of like one of the, one of the only guys really that was surfing there at the time. And another guy called Ivor. So that, those kind of, those two were kind of like the, 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 the older boys. And then when I was growing up, 
a year above me, there was uh, two of my friends. And one day we kind of just like saw each other in the ocean. We were like, oh, you surf? Oh, you surf? And then we just became like instant friends and we were surfing every day together. Well, trying to anyway. And then I, I met another friend because I was swimming. I was doing like competitive swimming. And so I met another guy there and I kind of tried to introduce him to surfing. So it was like kind of four of us. And then it was just like us, whenever it was like waves, we were like messing each other. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And it would be like, you know, ankle high would be frothing. Like, oh, it's such a good day today, you know? It's a, it's a funky little wave down there. I've surfed it a few times because uh, I, I live just up the road. Yeah, I find I find out the area where, well, where you live, where you lived and where I live yeah. it, it is quite, it's quite fickle sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, especially with with magic seaweed or what they call magic lieweed, well, I call it that. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it can tell you one thing, and by the time you get down there, you just say, "Oh man, I just wasted a journey here." Yeah. So, what was the surf scene like when you were growing up? So, you said like you know you had um, there was just four of you surfing at the time. Like currently now, I don't know whether you've been back recently or not, or been been down and, and seen it there's loads of people down there i mean i went down the other day on a good day and both peaks were packed by uh, jacob's ladder and, and the other side did that develop slowly as surfing became popular or did you just stay you know with your with your little crew of four that's quite a shock to me because when we were surfing Sydney, there was you know no one and like every way every time we surfed there was almost no one there was maybe one time a year where it was just perfect conditions and there was like 10 people out. But even then we would go to our section of the beach where other people didn't really go. Like for example, Rivermouth where like no one really knew that wave. So we kind of like went around the corner and set our own, own like kind of peak. But the, even that, that's super fickle and tidal and everything like that. So then we have to go back in the crowd. But yeah, most of the time there's absolutely no one around. So we would cycle, skate, no matter whatever, wherever we lived to get down to the beach. And there was never anyone. We, You know, it's, it's a massive retirement community. So it was just old people looking at us like, what are you doing? Like surfing in the ocean right now. Like <laughs> it's like 60 mile per hour wind. It's crazy at the moment because all those South Coast little villages, you know, Sidmouth, Exmouth, and all, along that sort of like Southern coastline there from, from Exeter, over the last few years, I mean, I've lived now in Limpston. When did I move? 2007. Oh, you're in Limpston. No way. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I'm in the Marines, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I I moved there to go on a training team um, to take recruits through training. So yeah. uh, me and my wife, we moved there in 2007. I got married in 2006. And we haven't moved from there since. But we have noticed what is very noticeable is there are more holiday makers that come down you know sandy bay's more busy going down to sidmouth and all the other local places like beer and all the other little villages that are around it's like it's summer you can't move and you know what it's like those little country roads they're not made for mainstream holiday makers to get down there and it's it's pretty carnage if i'm perfectly honest yeah yeah absolutely you said you um you went from sidmouth and you were, went up to North Devon. Did you end up living up there and, and working in Glen Shop? How, how did that come about? Yeah, so I was I first went there and I was like, okay, I want to live here. How's this going to work? So I started working in the shop and it was actually work experience. So I went there for a week and I was like, okay, I actually want to work here. They offered me a job and I was like, okay. Um, and I was like, I don't know where to live. So I just started living in a B&B and worked out a kind of deal with this guy. And then eventually, kind of the guy I was working with called Pat, a Zimbabwean guy, super, super cool, awesome guy. He's a lifeguard now in, in North Evan and Croyd. But we, I, I would be living with him. And then eventually I found a family over there with a caravan. So I'd live in, a ca in, the, in the caravan in the back of their garden. And they're called the Gray family. And if they listen to this podcast, you guys are freaking amazing. I love you. Um, and yeah, they just took me in. And, and actually, while I was there, uh, the father of the kids, so there was four kids, and the mom and dad, the dad called Joe, uh, sorry, John, he had pancreatic cancer while I was there. 
So that hit him, you know, it was, it was quite crazy to, to just move in there and instantly be kind of part of the family. You know, they're going through such a struggle. And two years later, I find out that he passes away, but he was just one of the nicest, most amazing guys and took me in, stayed in the caravan and then uh, always kind of stayed with them and went traveling, come back, stay with them, go traveling, come back, stay with them. Did you manage to get into the water quite a lot? I mean, is that kind of part of the reason that you moved up there too, was to surf as well as work in the surf shop? Yeah, it was like, it was a lot more consistent than Sidmouth. So I was, yeah, I would surf literally every day. Whether being from Sidmouth, it, the crappiest day in North Devon would be, you know, I'd be frothing over it in Sidmouth. So I was in there every day, no matter what, like shivering my ass off. It doesn't really matter. I'd be out. How did the oysters thing come about? Because I've heard the story from other people. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. One of my friends called uh, Toby Foster, one of the Foster families, he gave me a board that when he came to Maui, he kind of just, just possessed of it and, and took it home. And it was a seven, six semi-gun. So he was like, okay, here, here's a board. Like, I know you kind of wanted like go into bigger stuff. So he gave it to me and I was like, okay, I want to try and push it. So I would go out with it on like the biggest, some, some of the biggest days I would see it Croyd or whatever. I was like, Oh, I kind of want to push this thing. So I saw oysters breaking. I was like, oh, what's that? I kind of asked around, went to Ralph's shop. He was kind of one of the first guys to surf it. So I'd go in there, ask him a bunch of questions, like, what's what's the wave like? He was like, oh, it's pretty mental, like, and everything like that. It's a mental drop. So I, is it possible? He's like, yeah, just go for it. So I took my 7.6, paddled out there. It took me, it took me two hours to paddle out the first time. And because I, I paddled from down end point, and just went, you know, straight out. And the currents, they go like that. So you, as you're paddling, you're going like this, pretty much, and all the way out. And on a 7.6, that was like pretty brutal, especially when you surf out there, and then it's another two hours back. So then I was talking to some of the older boys again, and they surprised me one day. I was working in a Swanton shop, and one of the older boys comes up, and he goes, he, go, he goes, Adam, come, come, come on. And he, he starts bringing me over and he takes me to his truck and just starts pulling out this big board. Just like, it, I was like, oh, it's never ending, you know? He takes it out, it's 11.6 gun. And he was like, I used to surf oysters on this thing and I heard you were surfing it, so here you go. And he just hands it over to me. I'm like, oh my God, that's insane. So I was like, I'm, next while I'm out there. So like five days later or something, it was like huge swell comes like, some of the biggest I've seen for a while. And so I paddle out, it was a beautiful day. Paddle out, get some of the biggest waves I've ever seen, uh, you know, up to that time. And yeah, caught some fun ones. And I had like this shitty leash and I didn't really think about it. If that snapped, I would have been gonzo. <laughs> you know, it would have been hard to far paddle back. But I didn't really think I was young, whatever. But there are some days later on that I had like some pretty crazy stories, like coming back in the dark because I just wanted one more wave, one more wave, one wave, and then it just goes dark, you know? You paddle back, have to go up the cliff, everything like that. I was listening that to Liam and, and Will's podcast. I had a little listen to that a few weeks back when we were talking about you coming on here and... Uh, yeah, that, that story that you told about climbing up the cliff and using your fins to climb up at, um, at the end of the point was, was pretty epic. And I, I can kind of concur with that because I actually, years ago, I, I walked down there at low tide. It, it, there was no waves breaking or anything like that. It was a pretty calm day. Yeah. And, and I walked down those rocks. And if you don't know the route that you're going down there, it's it's pretty hardcore, even just to like, you know, filter your way down there because there's a little route in and out of it, isn't there? And yeah, uh, yeah I, I got to it and I just saw this massive like chasm, I could only call it, like a gap in the rocks. And I was like, how the fuck do people get in and out of this? It's mental. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. So after surfing oysters, was that kind of like your calling really to big waves? You kind of like, that's just what I want to do and you kind of chased it a bit. Yeah, that's what gave me the rush. I was like, I, I just want to surf big waves for the rest of my life. That, that was a thing that, like, surfing, like, small waves and stuff, I was frost over, and I was like, okay, I can, like, do this, whatever. 
But when I started big waves, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is it. This is the thrill, you know? I, I, and I would do like, I did my first skydive when I was like 18, 19, I can't remember when it was. And I was like, this doesn't give me as much of a thrill as surfing big waves, you know? That's like how much it really like thrills me up, you know? What do you think it is that compels people to do it? Because if I compare you to the, you know, people all around the world that surf places like Mavericks, Toto Santos, you've got um, the Cape Fear events that happen down in Australia, you've got yeah. uh, Shipsterns, which is absolutely, you know, mental place. And then where you are at the moment, you've got a load of big wave spots around there. Jaws being, you know, one of the pinnacle places because, and Waimea as well, where the eddies held. There's loads of these big wave spots and some of these guys that surf those waves, they only purposely do it. I mean, let's take Andy Cotton for, for an example as well. I've spoken to him before and he basically just said that he surfs big waves because he enjoys it. But if he surfed smaller waves or let's call them regular person waves, he probably wouldn't do as well as what he's doing now. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that's um, kind of what happens with a lot of big wave surfers is that they're not necessarily like pros when it comes to small waves but they're just very like, there's like a certain like spark you see in their eyes. It's very strange. Like I can't explain it, but every like big wave surfer you meet and like talk to and stuff like that, they start talking about big wave surfing. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's very unexplainable when you talk to them face to face and how they speak about it. And then when you talk to a guy that's like pro in small waves or something like that, it's just a different energy. And I just feel like you're either like, I don't know, you, you, you do it and it's for you or you do it and it's not for you. I, it's, it's hard to explain like that, but. Yeah, I can't imagine it's some something that people would do to make a living out of really because it's a pretty dangerous thing if you haven't got, you know, you haven't got the um, the equipment to do it as well. Uh, and I know vests and stuff like that are, are, are pretty you know, prevalent now in the lineups, aren't they? You know, everyone's wearing these these inflatable vests. But, you yeah. know, back in the day before they were even concept, people wearing life jackets from water skiing, they, they just weren't worn. And that kind of, the big wave surfing for me really is watching the older films, Big Wednesday and, and all those sort of things. To me, kind of cemented you being a waterman. You know, you, you still surfed in, in smaller waves, but you know, being able to conquer both big swells and regular swells is kind of what was the epitome of, of getting into surfing in the first place. I feel like, yeah, you get into that waterman men mentality and you just like, you, it can't stop. Like you get that thrill and it's just like, you just, you just cannot get out of the water. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel quite comfortable in anything really. I think that's just the time that you spend in the water as well. I can only put a little bit of experience down to even like half of what you go through in Hawaii. Um, I bought a gun, a Morris Cole gun when I was in Bali years ago and I surfed. It wasn't even, it isn't even an epic break or a well-known break for being big, but I surfed Dreamlands and there's no one oh, yeah, there. Yeah. And it was like, it was like 15, 20 foot and there was only two of yeah. us out there. And there's a nice big channel down the middle and it was literally just a takeoff, set your line, do a bottom turn. You basically kicked out. And I was yeah. like, that, this is pretty cool. But yeah. I can't, I, but I couldn't really see myself doing it all the time because one, I don't really have the time to, you know, swell chase. And yeah. I can't carry a 7-2 gun round with me everywhere because I'm never going to use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what's funny about like a lot of the islands here there are those breaks like Waimea, Jaws, Pipeline, all this kind of stuff, but there's so many different waves here. It's pretty like crazy because we have like pipelines all in different islands, but we can't document it or put it online or anything like that because no one wants a crowd. Yeah, it's just, you, you gotta put yourself out there, know the dangers and still go. And it's kind of stupid in a way. It's like, we love the thrill of putting ourselves in danger and we'll do it all over again the next day. I'd like to say I'd, I'd empathize with you, but I don't because I haven't got a clue. 
<laughs> but but going back to what you said about the vests and stuff, it's funny because back in the day when I when I was first starting surfing big waves, we didn't have that technology of inflation and everything like that. So I would go out to oysters with just like what you mentioned, the the impact stuff. I feel like whoever does want to step up the game, go to big wave surfing and that I would really like push to everyone to not rely on the inflation and go out to big waves and kind of pro- progress, like go out on a smaller day, then bigger, 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 bigger. And don't wear the vest, first of all, because it shows yourself like, okay, I don't need this. Obviously it's nice to have as a backup and anything like that, but it's nothing compared to having your friend or something like that on a ski looking after you. In the end of the day, that's the person that's gonna save you, not the vest. The vest can bring you up, but it's the wave after and the wave after that and the wave after that that really will drown you or something will happen to you so i would rely on someone else than a vest but but at the same time i have to shout out my sponsor blue soup because they are amazing thank you guys you're the best (laughs) they do make some cool jackets (laughs) don't they yeah what's your thoughts on towing to paddling because there's a there's a big stop gap isn't there um, you you know yeah. you don't you with paddling surfing you don't have to rely so much on an engine literally to pull you in. Um, yeah. And you're also, but when you, when you're paddling then you're using your physical ability as well. But you're not strapped to the board like you would be on a on a tow surf as well. So, you know what what's your thoughts on the two? I definitely think tow surfing. There's a time for tow surfing. Like. I think uh, that'll never die. And I think it's actually coming back uh, more and more. Like someone like Kyle Lenny, uh, Lucas Jumbo, they're really showing that you can tow so many days. And that really trains you for, for, for paddling because it makes you comfortable in big, big, big waves. And I feel like everyone talks about fear and how it consumes you, all that kind of stuff. But if you're just doing it constantly, 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 like if you're in big waves all the time, you're gonna be so much more comfortable when you're paddling, if you've been towing every day. So you're always out there, no matter what, so you can go between the two. But there are crossovers where, you know, someone's towing and while you're paddling and it's super annoying because they're creating wake and everything like that. I think there's a time and a place for both. I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about your travels. So, you know, we were talking about you surfing oysters. From that point then, was that kind of you going, right, I want to go and find these waves now? And did you do a bit of traveling before you ended up in Hawaii? I guess my first like real trip was with my boyfriend and my mum. We went to Sri Lanka and we were surfing there for like two, three months. And I would surf every day, every day, every day, and then try to like push it bigger days, bigger days, bigger days. And then I would go to trips like Mexico, Indonesia, and France, and Spain, and Portugal, and just like try and push myself as much as I can. And then when I went to Hawaii, that was like, okay, I'm getting a gun, I'm paddling out to Jaws, this is the time. When did you decide that being in Hawaii was going to be kind of your... Let's let's be a little bit cheesy with it, a little bit like your when your Shangri La of of surfing. What 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 made you want to stay there? That well, when I came the first time for three months, that was when I was like, this is this is where because I just I landed. I was like, oh, this is this feels right. This feels like the place I want to be. And then I got to know the people, got to know everything, and then um, uh, people were just kind of taking me in you know like helping me out and everything like that and they were like I kind of mentioned to people a little bit hey kind of want to move here and everyone was super stoked and helping me out so yeah that was like when I was like yeah I'm gonna move here guaranteed how did you find the locals and the lineup being technically an outsider in there because you know you hear stories I was howlies and stuff coming in I don't know whether that term's still used now they kind of just get mugged off and the old school busting down the door days. I was talking to Chad Smith, um, who is a journalist for Beach Grip. He owns his own like online media company. And he was he's written a couple of books that have been really sort of like almost small story exposés of what the actual life is like for surfers like on the North Shore and in Hawaii, because it can be pretty hardcore. How, how did you find all of that? It is, it is pretty hardcore. Like some of the lineups can be pretty nuts. Like for example, you paddle out a pipeline 
and you get to the peak or you're paddling to the peak and there's a line, right? Or even even all the way down to the beach, wherever you paddle out, someone's like, just keep paddling, bro. Don't, I mean, just, you know, don't stop. And if you stop for one second, they're like, all right, we're going to the beach. So it's, it's it can be pretty pretty heavy but the local people I, I feel like I don't know the Kanaka they're just kind of like misunderstood in some ways or portrayed in a bad way but they're just very like they're very family orientated and everyone is called for example auntie uncle brother sister cousin they all call each other that and you say hey auntie hi uncle and that's why it's so like the tourist comes and maybe leaves trash on the beach and 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 then they're gonna get into a scrap or even surfing, you paddle out and, you know, being a little bit disrespectful, they're going to call you out because that's just how it is. And even myself, when I got moved, when I moved to the island, I got taught a bunch of lessons. I I got into a bunch of scraps with people and, you know, arguments, everything like that, in the water, out of the water. But every single time, it was a give a handshake and we're all good and lessons learned, go back home, lick your bruises come back next day everyone's friends you know learn a lesson every day i think that's a, a really good point that you put out there that it's the, there's an underlying element to it all and i think these days where you've got media and magazines especially with youtube and all that sort of thing now it's really easy to have a stereotype depicting something now i've read plenty of books plenty of magazines spent spoke to plenty of people and you never hear about the court the cultural norms, you know, whether it's Hawaii, Sri Lanka, Australia, every single place is very different. Now, if I went to say Hawaii and I just, you know, went out there and or well, I was like, a, I had a Brazilian mentality where I'm like, fuck you, man, I'm going. I'd probably get into a fight all the time. But what you don't see when you go there, like you're saying, if you're a holiday maker, you don't see that under, underlying cultural piece where, you know, everybody's like that for a reason and people are really, really friendly if you get to know them. But I think that if you don't live there and you're not, you know, a local, people are not going to respect you in that way either. Localism is there for a reason because I feel like there's a lot of people that go through taking the piss constantly. But if you're just like, okay, I'm here, I'm showing my respect to, to you guys and, you know, I'll get my waves, you get yours and, or I'll just take the scraps, like whatever, until you like, you know, let me in. And I feel like, yeah, if you do that, they'll give you the respect real quick as well. What type of jobs did you do when you first got over there or what you're doing now? Because it, it's really easy to get stuck in this surface layer image of somebody like yourself going from, you know, a little fishing village in England and then going out to Hawaii and now like, you know, you're this big surfer, you're on the front cover of Carve magazine, you're getting a load of edits pushed your way and there's, there's lots of content coming out there. When you first got there, it must have been quite difficult because you're like, right, this is like where I want to be, but I've got to earn my way to stay here too. Yeah, so to dwell onto that, actually, um, I when I first got off the, off the plane to here, I had literally like 20, 20 bucks in, in my name. In, in my pocket literally I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I spent that to get to kind of like girl I was dating to her house and she was like okay you can you can you can stay with me everything like that and then you can get a job so I was staying with her like had absolutely no money for food no nothing and so I was working the shittiest job as I could find like literally like anything that would like let me in you know so I was I think my first job was landscaping for a guy that was paying me 10, 10 bucks an hour. That's nothing for here. And then I was working in a restaurant as the dish boy for like seven, eight months, something like that. And then I went from that to working in another restaurant, another restaurant, another restaurant. And then I started doing carpentry, construction, started learning the trade a little bit. And then after about four years, started getting, you know, my qualifications and stuff. But, you know, it was leading up to that. And all those years where I literally had no money. I had no money for boards. No, no, you know, I, I was constantly like asking guys, oh, can I, can I borrow your board? Can I borrow this? Can I borrow that? You know? And then eventually when I started getting, getting it back, you know, I was like, thank you so much for lending me that. Like, here's a board or here's whatever, you know? It was just like that initial time was pretty stressful, especially because I actually got married when I was 19. So I, I came here around 18, 19, and then I got married when I was 19, and then divorced 23, and I was doing my immigration through that. So at the whole time, I needed the money for the immigration, 
And so, you know, me and me and my wife at the time were just like trying to try and scrape money to do that as well as like, you know, living. And we couldn't really afford many places. So we we're living in kind of like crappy places. But yeah, eventually, like I learned, uh, learned the trade and then now I'm a contractor. And yeah, it's, it's better now. <laughs> Let's say that. Did you do a lot of competing while you were there? Was it just a case of you were there for the lifestyle to start with? Honestly, I just wanted to surf big waves. Like I was doing competitions in England like uh, small wave comps and stuff, but I just got so burnt out. I couldn't do competitions ever again, like, uh, or in small waves anyway. And then I came here and, and I can't, I really wanted to get into the big wave competition and I still do. So yeah, just pushing for that pretty much. What was your first experience like, you know, getting aboard and, and paddling out to your first break or first big swell that came through? Do you remember that? I'd say straight up uh, Jaws, I guess. Um, we were, I, I just come for the three months. And so there was some big swells. It was the winter of 2016, 2017. And it was like the craziest winter they've ever had in, in history. And I was like, okay, I'm here with my board, <laughs> whatever. And I paddled out some of the first swells and I was warming up and it was pretty crazy coming out there because I had no one, to, no one to surf it with. I was like asking guy, hey, do you want, are you surfing? Do you want to surf Jaws? They were like, no. So I kind of went up there on my own, went down the trail to the cliff. And it turns out there was this guy called Chris Burtish, which he had previously won the Mavericks competition on the biggest day they've ever had for any competition. And so he was there. I didn't know the guy. I was like, hey, like, uh, I'm going to go out surf doors. Are you going out as well? He was like, yeah. So it was just us two, no, no skis, uh, no inflation, anything like that. So that was like my first real session out there was no one around. And it was, you know, macking, <laughs> like 20-foot Hawaiian, which is like sizey. But, um, yeah, I surfed that, got some waves, and he was, and, you know, he was kind of like coaching me a little bit which was awesome. I didn't, I didn't even know who the guy was. And he was like, okay, yeah, like you're kind of doing this, like sit here and, you know, kind of like do this and do that and kind of wait for the last, last wave of the set, all this kind of stuff. And so that was kind of my first real experience uh, surfing with Rose here. And we would do a couple of sessions. And then there was this one day, huge day that came and they ran the, the Jaws competition. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try and surf it before the surf, before the comp starts. And I knew there was going to be guys surfing it before the comp started that were not in the competition. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and get that early as possible. So I went to the normal road to, to drive up and to the cliff and then jump down. And it was about 4.30 in the morning. And I got to the road and they were like, no, com competitors only. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because I know the guys that are surfing it but they went by boat or jet ski. So they already went round and I was like, I have to be there. I have to be there. I have to be there. So I went down to Malika Gulch, which is just like four kilometers away, went down where the, the skis go out. And I was like, okay, I have to get out there. I have to get out there. I have to get out there. So I was asking a bunch of buddies and just like random guys who were like launching the ski, like, Hey, can I jump on with you guys? Go, go to Jaws. They were like, Oh, we're full up or, you know, competitors only, stuff like that. So I was like, okay, shit, I have to get out there. So I, I started jumping in the water with my gun and, and paddling and that around and then up the up the coast. And I started paddling, paddling, paddling. And this guy um, pulls up with a ski next to me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I have to I have to surf this way. Like, I, I have to surf it right now. Like, it's pumping, it looks perfect. Like, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And he was like kind of pissed because he was running safety for the comp and he was like, oh, okay, whatever. So it's like, okay, jump on. And, and so it was him and, and Greg Long on the back. And then I jump on the, on the, on the sled. So I'm lying down on the sled, just they're going along and I'm bumping along all the way, you know, and for 4k, just bumping along, finally arrive. And they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll look after you. All right. Just, just be real careful. Like there's some other guys out in the water you know get some waves and and come talk to us after so i yeah i got i got a wave and i was stoked with it i kind i didn't actually wiped out but you know i was stoked to get a wave anyway before the comp started 
and so I came up and and it was one of the guys it was Sean Walsh I think and he was like uh yeah it was yeah Sean he was like yeah just get a ski or something next time <laughs> so yeah I was yeah, that was that was super cool and and um that experience with all the boys was was cool that they kind of just let me let me go and it was it was cool at what point did you realize I mean you're surfing with all those big names and, and those people around you when did you realize what was the point that you just kind of sat back and went do you know what I'm achieving what I wanted to was there a point where you felt like that I think it was like three seasons in so 2018 2019 winter and so I was like surfing and it was like with the boys and we're all out there. And then I just look around and I'm like, okay, these are all like my mates. And I look around again, I'm like, oh, actually these are all like renowned surfers. And you know, we're all kind of just like friends and everything. And I was just like, okay, that's super cool. And then there's a wave, like a set wave and they're, they're like, I'm in perfect position. And they're just like shouting me for me to go and like, I think it was, I think it was Lucas Chimber. Yeah, it was Lucas Chimber. And I was out on the left and we're all, we're all on the left. And then he goes, go. And he's like, right next to me, go, go. So I, I take off on this left. It turned out to be one of the best lefts I've ever got out of there. Kick out. And they're like, you know, they're all over there. Uh, I was in there and that's the point. I was just like, yeah, this is, this is sick. Like with the boys. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I'm going to say something to you now, and I don't, uh, I don't know whether you realize it, but how do you find the American mentality as well? Because what you just did there was a very Britishism, right? <laughs> so, so you're like, you had all these guys hooting at you, and you're like, ah, yeah, it was, it, it was great. Where like they'd be like, that, oh man, that was so sick, and they'd be like that, you know, high five and what sort of thing. I mean, look, we're very reserved as a, as a British people. But I I love it, but I find it really hard to do. Uh, forgive me for being a little bit out there, but sometimes no, I find it. you're absolutely right. You're, it's a you're, bit cheesy, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to talk about that with some people because they don't understand, especially like me talking to Americans. I'm like, this is how we talk and this is how we act. And it was so hard to make friends when I first came here because, you know, we're quite, as English, we're quite loud and everything like that. But we're still like, when we talk about stories, we're like, it, not humble in a way but we just kind of like keep it to ourselves a little bit and it was yeah it's so hard to like connect with a lot of americans and you're completely right like it's yeah that that whole like listening to them talk it's like everything's got to be extravagant everything's got to be this everything's got to be that so um yeah that was quite hard to get used to <laughs> you know do you know what right i think i'm saying it in a way because part of me thinks i wish I'd like to adapt my personality to be a little bit like that. But I'm too much of a cynic and sarcastic. I'm quite, quite narcissistic as well, I think, at times. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be quite difficult. Hence the grumpy surfer, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's classic. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your sponsors and stuff as well. Because, you know, when you, you said that, you know, when you started making it, you were giving boards to people and stuff like that who who had helped you out in the past. And I think that's a, a pretty cool thing because sometimes it's really easy to get lost in that translation where, you know, you're very, very focused on doing what you want to do. Not saying that, you know, you set your goals out there to be like this megastar big wave surfer. But you can get stuck in like, oh, look at me, I'm a bit of a big deal now, fuck everybody else. When you started gaining your sponsors and sh ships and stuff like that, did you kind of make a point of doing that, of looking after the people that looked after you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was so important to me because all the guys that were around me are still like my close friends till now. It was just like they showed me such kindness when I came here and, and no one really done that and so i was like okay i i'm looking after them no matter what like i would sacrifice days to be on the ski to look after them because i was like i just you know i want them to have fun and they helped me so much when i come here and with boards and stuff like that when i got when i had like kind of a, a i'd say it's bigger now but you know i was getting like a board sponsor and like all the clothing sponsor and like all this kind of stuff and um yeah as soon as i like got that momentum back it, it was just nice to to be able to give it back to them and 
and still maintain that relationship, you know, and, and I still surf big waves with those guys and surf with those guys. And yeah, it's, it, it's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely an important thing, I think, be, being able to maintain those those connections, even though after time, you know, inevitably relationships and people just kind of fade off with people going off and, and doing their own thing, really. But it's one of the key things that I find important to me as well as trying to maintain those relationships, even if you don't see those people for years and stuff, just to, you know, dip your hand back in and just send a message or something or an email saying you know how's it going you all right because uh, it kind of defines your life a little bit sometimes as well i mean the people around you really define a lot of the times who you are and and how influential they can be to your life is it, it can either like make it go in a bit of a downhill downhill or really bring you up and and it's so nice to be surrounded with amazing people around here to bring me up and and just push each other no matter what, like to get better and better as, as a person or get better and better whatever you want to do. So yeah, it's really, it, it would be great to just keep keep going that kind of flow, you know? I think this kind of brings this nicely into, I want to talk to you a little bit about your mental state and and I know you practice a lot of yoga and breathing techniques as well. Being in the job that I am, I, I've started over the last sort of like year, especially with like lockdowns and stuff like that, concentrating on doing a little bit of meditation and and i I call it yoga it's it's just stretching (laughs) that's what i'm really doing but it does it does kind of recenter you and i find it well for me it just helps me sleep a little bit better so how does that how does yoga and meditation and all those breathing techniques help you out oh yeah exactly what you say like it's really centers you i i feel like whatever you do what kind of movement really focus on your breathing and that's effectively what yoga is anyway, is, is just moving and breathing and, and just getting oxygen to your, your body and really like, but also hydrating yourself. It's such a big thing, like constantly drinking water and life is, water is life. It's, it's such a big thing. And the training as well, like it's, it's got so much, so many benefits, whatever you do in, in your life, whether, you know, you're working in an office, it doesn't really matter as long as you go do some fitness, yoga, meditation, doesn't, you know, it's only going to benefit your life. So I feel like, especially with, if you're a guy, like testosterone wise, like going to the gym and working out, doing all that, it's going to boost your testosterone. And eventually that's going to boost your energy levels, your everything. And, and, you know, how we were as cavemen and hunting animals and everything that we needed that, you know, to keep energy. And you see a guy with a lot of, lot of testosterone or a lot of energy or you know he's healthy guy he's gonna look or he's gonna act like a lion compared to you know the guys in our offices every day in front of this computer screen they're gonna be like lambs you know so it's it's that constant mentality of like pushing your own boundaries as well as meditating yoga to keep that 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 like peace within yourself like that, that alignment that you're talking about What's your training regime look like? Because I know I know you're doing a lot of gym work as well, aren't you? Yeah, I do a lot of like CrossFit and kind of a lot of weight work. I like, I like, I I really like going to the gym every day, but I do love yoga as well. And I kind of just like they bounce both of each other out. You know, stretching for the for yoga and then uh, for the gym, and then also breathing is so important. And but also like free diving and and spear fishing is so big for me. And I feel like spearfishing really pushed my surfing from, you know, my comfortable, um, or sorry, my, my mentality in big waves so much further because you're free diving and then focusing on trying to hunt fish at the same time. So that's, it was such a big change for me. I was like, whoa, this is, this is like one of the best training things I could ever have done was, was spearfishing. Yeah, that hypoxic training, I can imagine, is, is very much so, I guess, like a second, I'll use the pun, a second wind to, your, to riding on the surface. But those wipeouts are super, super harrowing, aren't they? Yeah, and, and so many times um, I've, I've like gotten my wind knocked out and then had to like, you know, stay under and just be thrashed around and, and be okay with it. And so we kind of, I didn't want to mention it before, or I, I kind of like been kind of keeping it a little bit of a secret, but we're coming close to finishing it, but we're making a course coming out soon. I guess I do have to advertise pretty soon, but we're, we're making a course like for big wave surfers. And one of the big, one of the biggest things is um, carbon tolerance. So 
to anyone who doesn't uh, isn't as comfortable with the term is being comfortable with not very much air in your lungs so you breathe everything out and then you start your training so for example you'll you'll be on top of the water and you'll be breathing and then you suddenly breathe all your air out sink to the bottom and then you've got to stay there as long as you can come back up take one breath breathe it all out and sink to the bottom again you gotta stay there as long as you can and do that as many times as you can that's just one workout and there's so many different workouts you can do variations everything like that but it's so important especially going into big waves or even even in small waves when you thrash around just being comfortable is such a big thing is just being comfortable and, and preserving that energy so you can continue surfing continue doing whatever it is you want to do it, and it and benefits every kind of sport no matter what it is it'll benefit every kind of sport yeah there's a guy that i worked with he was really into free diving and he yeah. used to run courses at the commando training center where he would teach people to increase their tolerance levels like what you're talking about holding your breath for longer and he used to do like a series of breathing techniques so like nice shallow almost like the Wim Hof method you know where where you you, you almost over oxidize your body and your brain to the point where you're lightheaded and then do what you're saying sink all your air out sink to the bottom of the swimming pool hold it come back up and do that over and over again but each time increasing carbon tolerance to be able to stay underneath the water hypoxically for for longer periods of time and i think that is something just within the surfing community really that it's all very well and good surfing but and getting your technique correct on the top of the surface but the counter to that is nine times out of ten you're going to fall off your board anyway and if it's in some sort of wave of consequence as well you know you are going to be in those maybe one two wave hold downs or you're going to get pushed down super deep your board's going to be tombstoning at some point and if you're not calm in those situations is what can actually make the situation worse because you're almost getting to the yeah. point where you're panicking when remaining calm is the point that you need to be in it's, it's so funny because it's such like a opposite of what a human is designed to do is is just panic and trying to get out of situations as quickly as they can. But we're trying to reverse that and keep yourself calm and be like, oh, it's going to pass. We'll just stay calm. You know, it's such a strange thing that we're trying to reverse what we've been designed to do effectively. What are some of the most hardcore situations you've been involved with with wipeouts? Because it's really easy to talk about the cool stuff, you know, surfing, you know, Jaws or Whammy. What are some of the situations that you've been involved in? you like, fuck i could have died there's a few situations i can kind of think on the top of my head like i've been knocked out by a wave so where i went down super hard one day i was surfing the right at jaws and i pile in i'm like super committed go do the bottom turn and i'm just bottom turning and it's just already barreling and I like pull up into the thing and i'm like I'm going off balance. Like as I'm pulling in, the the chop just hits and I just pretty much go over, back, lean on the face of the wave and then just like go with the face and then go over with the bow, get smashed, go over again. And then I'm like underwater, I'm trying to stay calm. I'm like, okay, this is good. Come up to the surface and my inflation is like up. It was a vest designed to like, when it was it was too rough, it would inflate itself it's kind of if you get concussed or whatever and so i pop up i'm like well that's heavy and then the next wave is literally right in front of my face and as i come up i'm like okay i have some time and then i come up breach the surface and then boom it hits me straight in the face and i just the next thing i remember was the wave after and i was just faced up and so lucky i was and then a guy like picks me up on the ski and then we go out. Yeah, I can imagine those sort of situations are kind of quite a common occurrence, really. I mean, it's surprising that you yeah. don't hear about more people that are drowned at big wave spots. But I guess, like you're yeah. saying, the, the equipment that you're wearing now, you know, you can put yourself in more more critical positions in bigger waves. Yeah. But it's a kind of a, I think it's kind of counterintuitive as well because your, your natural preservation instinct to kick in should be that I don't want to be in this point but 
knowing that you've got an inflation vest that if you do get smashed you can inflate it and you come back to the surface again and you're not going to be held down is a little bit comforting but also you know could be quite dangerous at the same time yeah you're absolutely right i think the, the technology nowadays is getting so much better that more and more people can surf big waves or or push themselves in places that they wouldn't usually because there's that technology that's just allowing you to be way more comfortable and and go okay maybe i can do that let's go let's talk a little bit about carve magazine and the cover shot that you've had for this month's issue how did that situation come about I, I had absolutely no idea they were doing it. And one of the, it was, we had uh, like a secret spot went off and we had a huge, it was kind of the last big swell we had for this season. And it hit this one spot that almost never breaks. It's like five years since it's broken. And we like, we were surfing that and it was Chopu came to Maui. It was insane. And a surf that gets some of the best ways I've had for a while and then I'm driving home and my mates in the back and we just got like boards everywhere I'm freaking look at my phone and new Devon army Jason he just like pops up on my Instagram going you got the cover shot and it kind of it's a notification with the picture and I look at it and I I just think it's a joke like uh he's just fucking with me he's like uh you know, crop car magazine or a picture of mine. So I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. So I put my phone down and then it buzzes again, buzzes again, buzzes again. Like my mum, my brothers, my mates, like all from back home, they're all like, you got a cover shot. You got... I'm like, no way. So I like go on there. I go on the car thing and they're like, next issue, Adam. And puts me and I'm on the car. And like, no, this is absolutely unreal. And I just start punching the roof, like just so excited, so happy. My mates going wild in the back. Like it was such a crazy moment. It was awesome. I was so stoked. I had no idea. They never told me, no nothing. It was just like such a surprise. I think these days, you know, we were talking about a little bit earlier about media and stuff and magazines are kind of not tethering out, but they're just another platform that people can put some content out with really. Yeah. But, you know, back in the day, having a cover shot from a from a surfing magazine was like, you know, you look at the guys back in the 70s, and they were getting photographs of your example, surfing pipe. You know, that was the yeah. epitome of what, they kind of wanted to do it before because if you got a cover shot on a surf mag especially something like surfer or for us you know the european magazine big one is, is carve magazine that is the the epitome and you know you've made it because you're on that cover so you know without blowing smoke up your ass that must have been you know like you were saying a pretty special situation to be in oh mate, i never i personally i never thought i would make on a cover amazing i was like you know, kid from Sydney. I'm. I still can't believe it to this day. Like, no way. Something that I've. I could only dream of being on the cover of a magazine. And and personally, I was like, I couldn't believe it myself. Like I'm. I'm still in like kind of this shock mode. Like I haven't got my hands on a, on a copy. And uh, my mom's sending me it my way. And so yeah, I feel like it's only gonna kick in when I get the cover myself. Put my hand on it. And and. Yeah, it's, it, it's, I'm pretty stoked because all the guys at Carve, they've written stuff about me. I've been in the magazine before, but nothing like cover, you know? And so I was like, to, to see that would be, yeah, I, I, I still can't believe it. I'm stoked. <laughs> well, talking to the guys around here, in the, I know you're the other side of the world, that people that know you know everyone's super chuffed for you. And having somebody that came from a little fishing town that's 10 minutes away from my house you know, it was amazing and I'm chuffed for you, mate, to be perfectly honest. Oh, thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate that. So just to finish on, I'm going to do a little quick fire round for you. And I love saying this. Right. It's a quick fire round that never turns out to be a quick fire round. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, if you had one surfboard fin set up for the rest of your life, would it be single fin, twin fin, thruster, bonzer, quad or finless? Oh, oh, that is a good question. I would probably have to go with quad. Good choice. That's the second person that said that now, and I'm like that. I love quads. Favorite surfer and why? Oh, oh, that is a hard one. These that are designed really to catch hard. you out. Yeah. It might it might have to be Lucas Trimbo. And 
I really hope he, he hears that. Just tag him in it, mate. Just tag him in it. Yeah, I will. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. He's, he's probably the nicest guy in the world as well. I'm just stoked. He's, you know what? He's like, he's like a kid in the water. He's hilarious. First surf film you ever watched? I think it was Lords of Dogtown. The most recent surf film you've watched. Uh, it was Matt and Albie's film, Something in the Clouds. Anyway, yeah, there's like Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Miola and Albie there with that movie. <laughs> and the last question is your dream surf trip. Oh, dream surf trip. Wow. Uh, Bear in mind, you live in a place that probably everyone would, would love to go to and would dream of living there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, probably Tahiti. I thought you were going to say something like Sidmouth when it was like windy and unsure, half a foot. Oh, that was my second choice. Of course. Yeah. Adam Amin, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and I appreciate your time, mate. No, I really appreciate being on here and, and thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Thank you. And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also follow The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>